This is episode number 56 with Trent Otis. Trent is currently an instructor for Zona Baseball Instruction out in the Arizona area. Um, He is someone who has worked with minor leaguers, major leaguers, uh, developed high school players, college players. He is the master at at doing team hitting. Um, In this episode, you'll kind of learn if you're a coach and and someone who has time and space kind of constraints what to do um, for your players with the most benefit. Um, great guy. He gives some awesome tips on on how to you know just work on you know everyday things that kids struggle with, where, whether it's kind of lunging to the baseball or you know not staying back in time. Um, so I think you guys will really really benefit from this if you are a coach or a player. Um, also, I would like to remind you guys to head on over to BlastMotion.com if you're interested in getting a bat sensor. Um, Blast Motion is a sensor that tracks uh, bat speed, um, playing, time to contact, whether you're swinging up or down. Um, it's very easy to use. I've been using it for over a year now, and you it actually hooks up to your phone, so you can see it on your own. You don't need anybody else to be there to videotape you or anything like that. So head on over to BlastMotion.com. Um, in the coupon code area, type in PJB. 25 for $25 off. I will also put the link um, on my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, under this episode. So you guys are going to really enjoy this episode with Trent Otis. We are now live with Trent Otis with uh, Zona Baseball Instruction. Trent, appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you're actually a baseball coach, but... You me- you messaged me the other day saying that you're actually uh, becoming a firefighter too. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a firefighter full time now. Um, I was a teacher um, and I coached baseball, you know, full time. Did the whole teaching thing. And about three years ago, I got on with Phoenix Fire Department, so I do that full time. Um, and uh, and then just do the coach baseball on the side and do the uh, the hitting sessions and all that on my side on my free time. What subject did you teach in school? I taught biology and uh, PE, weight training. So I I, I, did, I ran the gamut. Did you just get kind of like burned out with the whole teaching thing? Is that why you wanted to go in a different direction? Yeah, you know what? I, I was I was teaching because I enjoyed coaching, and it was kind of a means to, to be able to coach full-time and about five years into it, I realized that uh, I really enjoyed the coaching, but the teaching was kind of dragging on me a little bit. And uh, I uh, found the opening for the fire department and, and found out that's really allows me to do both. And it, it really feeds my personality a little better than being in a classroom. So that's where I'm at now. Did you ever think about just doing the baseball full time? Because there's a lot of people out there nowadays, instructors who are just kind of doing their have their own facility or just doing lessons full time. Yeah, um, you know what? I never did. Uh, I thought about uh, in the fall of last year. I was really close to um, opening up my own place, and um, and what it came down to is I have a young family. My kids are six and three, and. Uh, I really didn't want them growing up at the facility necessarily. And, and I do it as, as a passion and, uh, as a hobby right now. Um, and I didn't want it to be something where I had to pay the bills and had to make decisions based on money. Um, I wanted to continue to do it for my love of it and for the development of my players. And, and I thought just really going into a facility and making it my full-time gig, um, 
would, would kind of take away from that a little bit. So that's kind of where I'm at on it. Yeah, definitely understand where you're, where you're coming from with that. Uh, see a lot of instructors where they, they, you can definitely tell, you know, and I understand that they have to make a living by it, but you made a good point where if you don't have to, uh, you know, charge and do all that thing, um, every single time and it's all not always about the money it's definitely in the best benefit um, of the player let's talk a little bit about your career as a player um i see that you played uh, some indie ball back in the day um was it obviously a dream of yours to one day play in the big leagues yeah it was uh growing up as a kid i obviously threw the ball up against the wall all day long and wanted to play uh wanted to play in the big leagues and uh I didn't really grow very much um, in high school. I didn't really, I had two college, well, I had junior college offers, but really only one um, division two offer at Grand Canyon. And uh, so I went the JUCO route and uh, ended up playing at Grand Canyon after two years and, and then just, just signed a free agent and played some indie ball after that. So that kind of fulfilled my, my dream. I said I was going to play until the talent, my talent ran out or, or the other guys caught up and, and passed me by. And that's kind of where I ended up. And, and, uh, I was doing some things in indie ball that I was taught and I thought were right. And, uh, they ended up being really detrimental when, when the pitching got, um, above the level that, uh, you know, division two college baseball was at. And so once they got to where they can really command pitches and really throw, throw their, their off speed stuff for, um, for strikes and, and, and really locate that, that really, it really took my career and ended it right there. And so that's when, when I started to become, when I became a coach, that's, that's what really turned me around as far as, man, I need to figure out what happened because I felt like I worked hard enough and I had the talent to do it. But uh, my skill set kind of ran out because of the stuff I thought I was trying to do wasn't really, wasn't really advantageous to being successful on the field. What were you doing that was kind of uh, detrimental to your game? Well, you know, growing up, I, I always swung hard. Um, I was a little guy, but I, I had a little bit of pop. Um, and I thought and I was taught that, you know, try to create as much turn and coil and then get that forward and unleash it. And uh, it really made me susceptible to off-speed pitches. Um, I really had to commit early on everything. Um, I swung. I had a really bad plate discipline um, because I was so committed so early. Uh, fastballs I crushed when I was guessing right and I got the pitch I wanted to um, I did pretty well with it but everything else I was I was pretty much an out if you could locate an off-speed pitch and and uh, I, I was I was just too lungy too lurchy I tried to create power with momentum and uh, I didn't know any better back then and so that's that's really uh, that's really what it came down to for me so you kind of just talked a little bit about coiling um, a little bit in your back hip um, do you, do you teach that today or like, how do you, well, what differences do you teach now because of your experience as a player? Um, I, I teach to create power without momentum. Um, then in the game, when you're in that live game situation, when you're being an athlete and you do have a little bit of forward momentum that adds to the internal power that you're already creating from the backside, it's not the driving force of which you create power. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand that. So, yeah, so really that's that's what I teach. I try to break it down and say, hey, we can create power at 50%. We can create power just hitting off of 
you know, like we're hitting off a stilt, like we're just standing on one leg and creating, creating some turn and creating some power from the backside. Then when you add the front side into it, that's more of an athletic bracing mechanism um, than it is something that we're using to try to create forward force. Um, as far as when I, when I was talking about what I did when I played as a coil, I really coiled in my front side really hard to coil in the backside. And so as soon as I would go to unwind, I would unwind as one piece. I had no stretch. I had no separation and therefore I had no adjustability. And that's really what I was talking about. I was talking about a front, you know, a, a front side of the body coil is what I did when I played. So it was, it was not very good to say the least. You come up with some, some pretty, pretty cool drills and, and someone who I've actually been following a little bit for, for quite some time, actually on Instagram. Um, how do you come up with some of these drills? Is it just through ex- experiment, experimenting or how do you kind of, is it just player based on what you, what you guys need as a team? Yeah, I, a little bit of everything. I don't really have, um, you know, a, a template of how I create a drill. Sometimes where I'm working with a hitter and uh, I see him move or, or have a feel or do something. And, uh, and some of the stuff I do is based on constraints. You know, okay, I see him doing this that I don't really think is, is, uh, is helping him as a hitter, so I'm going to try to block that. So then I just try to get creative. Okay, how could I block this? You know, how could I block him from getting too far forward? Okay, if I put a ball, a baseball under the toes of his front foot and he goes forward, he's either going to fall over or that baseball is going to make him unstable or whatever. So therefore he has to create, you know, he's got to stay on that backside a little bit better, more balanced through the middle of his body. So he doesn't push that ball out from underneath his front foot. So that's one way I create some of the drills that I do is just trying to block what I don't want them to do. Um, the other side of that constraint uh, based approach is I try to help them feel what I want them to feel. So, you know, we'll put the PVC pipe on the shoulders and turn the shoulders more up as opposed to around, you know, flying up instead of flying out type stuff and have that PVC pipe really kind of scrape across the ground or something like that. So, so feels of blocking something or feels of actually helping them do something. Um, And then some of it's just, you know, just kind of laying in bed and thinking about a hitter swing and, and saying, okay, what, what would really help that hitter? Okay. Maybe if we just did this and then go going out there and I do a lot of hitting myself still, um, I like to feel what the hitters are feeling. And I I like to, you know, I make sure the drill is doing what I want it to do, um, feeling what I want it to feel. And so I've actually taught myself to hit left-handed a little bit just because I want to feel kind of, hey, this is what it should feel like for the very first time moving this way. Because some of these drills I've done so many times, you know, it's really, it's become innate for me to swing that way. But if I go and do it left-handed, I train and try to really train my body and, and feel out some things and work through some of the drills that I'm, that I'm creating. So there's a bunch of different ways. I just try to try to personalize it to the hitter. Like you said, you know, I don't, when we have 15 guys in the cage, you know, they don't all need the same thing. So we're, we tailor our program to, to small groups that might need the same thing or just the individuals that need specific work. 
I really like how you said you actually are starting to hit left-handed, which is, it makes a lot of sense because some of these kids are just figuring out their own bodies. So if you flip it around to you hitting left-handed or, or switch hitting, it kind of puts you in the same kind of position in a sense. Do you think it's really important for an instructor or coach to do all the drills, like kind of like you're doing? I don't, I, I don't think it's, I don't just think everybody learns the same. Um, I think a, a hitting coach could be successful without ever playing at a really high level. And I think a hitting coach could be really successful with a, with a really great understanding of it, but they can't necessarily do it and they have never really felt it. I don't think everybody's the same. My, my brain doesn't work. Let's say chemistry, for example, my brain doesn't work with chemistry. You know, all the, that just doesn't work for me, but it works for some people. So for me to say, hey, the only way to to learn, to t- be able to teach how to hit is you've got to be able to hit yourself. I don't think that that's fair because that's just the way my brain works. I want to feel it so I can explain it to my hitters. However, uh, pe- other, hit- other hitting coaches' brains work different than mine and pro- probably way more advanced than mine. And there's a lot of smarter people out there than me that can visualize it and feel it in their head without having to feel it with their body. So I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's fair to say that you have to be able to do that. Um, I think for some people it works and for some people, other people, they can, they could teach it great without having to do that. Um, I see you using a lot of PVC pipes. You were just talking about that a second ago. Why are using PVC pipes um, so good for players? I like to do a lot of our work in progressions. So if we're teaching a new movement feel or maybe not a new movement feel, but we're trying to, to change the way a player moves to get up there with a bat and put, even put a ball on a tee and say, okay, now feel this and, and just hitting off a tee. There's, there's too many external things going on that they're trying to think about. They're still trying to think about their bat in their hand and getting the barrel to the ball and, making sure they, you know, they hit the ball and not hit the tee. And, 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 you know, and then you may have the external goal. Okay. I don't want to roll over this ball on the tee. So there's a lot of different stuff going on in that player's head that is not about the feel that we're trying to feel or about the movement that we're trying to create. When you just give them a PVC pipe and there's no ball on a tee or there's no ball coming at them, then they can really just focus on having their body move in the way that they want to do. So in that progression, that's the simplest part of the progression where we could just move through it nice and slow. There's no pressure on it as far as external goals or external pressures. We got to hit this ball square or don't roll over it or whatever. And they can really just work through that movement. And then, like I said, I like to work in progressions. And so from, from that, we may take that PVC pipe and, and then move from that once we feel it really well. And then we move to the T. If we can get the movement that we were feeling on the PVC pipe, to translate to the T, then we'll progress from there and go into front flips and then go into, you know, um, a live arm and then maybe go to a velocity machine. And as soon as we lose that feel, then we'll go back, feel it back at the beginning and work back up until we can continue to have that feel and have that movement be demonstrated across all lines. Because really when we get into the game, um, if we've only used this off a T, the fact that we, the, the idea that we think we're going to make it work in a game off a live pitcher with people watching and the ball moving and changing speeds is, is kind of asinine um, as hitting coaches when we want them to, to be able to 
um, display that in a live situation and they've only hit off a tee. It's kind of, it's, it's not really realistic to have the hitter want, wanting to do that. I saw one of your drills where you had a PVC pipe and you were kind of, I didn't, I don't know how to um, word this correctly, but you were kind of talking about uh, the access and like the pivot point. Um, was that, do you, I don't know if that may, that rings a bell, but like, are we talking like the hip access? Yeah, really, um, the two hitters that I was working on that with, we just kind of held that PVC pipe. It's about a four or five foot long PVC pipe. Uh, and I just had them hold it kind of like they were holding a baby, like across their chest. And I, when I, when I wanted them to turn, they were turning way too far over their front side. They weren't turning behind their front side. They were turning way in front of their front side. Therefore, they weren't getting any barrel depth. Um, they're having to make decisions way too early because their contact point is way too far out in front of the of the plate. So they're really taking and giving the pitcher more of an advantage if he has 60 feet, 6 inches um, at when he starts and then he releases at, what, 57 feet or whatever it is. I don't know the exact number. And then they have to go out and get the ball way out in front. They're just, they're just taking it and giving the pitcher more space as opposed to giving themselves more space. So that drill was all about keeping their spacing by learning how to turn over their rear hip axis as opposed to turning over their front hip axis. So I was just having them hold that PVC pipe and turn. And when they would turn over their front hip, they would really feel because that PVC pipe is really long. They would really feel when that PVC pipe got in the zone and when it finally got to contact. And it was very easy for them to see and realize that, you know, turning over that front hip axis was really detrimental to, you know, swinging at good pitches and being adjustable and making late decisions in, in a game. And so that's all it was. I was just putting a PVC pipe, a small PVC pipe, kind of at their back hip, just showing, hey, this is your access point. Don't turn in front of this. Turn over the top of that point. And that, that's kind of the drill we were doing with that PVC pipe. And then their, their partner was grabbing the front side of the PVC pipe. And sometimes he was helping them by turning that PVC pipe up and it was helping them stay over their rear axis. And sometimes he was trying to pull them forward. And so they would have to really fight with their core and fight with their posture to stay in that position. So it would, that's kind of the progression that we were doing with there. We really helped them feel it, help them feel the right movement, stay over that axis. And then once they felt it and they got it right, now we try to pull them out of that position and they fight to stay in it. So they're, they're feeling really, um, a couple of different um, external pressures on them to to stay in that position. Yeah, I really I really like that progression series, especially with having the partner um, help them a lot. I have a lot of players who kind of lunge forward, kind of what you're talking about. They're they're swinging with their their front hip access, I guess, more than anything. Um, what ways do you do you have um, other than just kind of like with showing them with the um, PVC pipe. I saw you were using a band as well, like attaching it uh, to the bat in between both their hands. Yeah, um, same thing there. Where we start with with pulling from behind, so it's really helping them feel that stretch um, and, and having them feel what it feels like to have their upper body pulled back by their torso and their back hip and everything working together in a load and stay in that staying in that stretch position. And then we start to rotate around as the, the person pulling on the band rotate around and pull from different angles to have them feel um, different pressures on their hands and different pressures on their body. So they're learning how to fight the different, um, 
the different external poles on, on their hands or whatever. And then we'll try to pull them forward. And now they're feeling, okay, that's what it felt like before. I'm letting that happen. Now, what I need to be doing is I need to be fighting that feel. Um, and that's a really good, um, I got that from Rob Gray, not just I, before I just always, Hey, let's do what, let's do what makes you feel it right. And once, once you get it right, you're good. I never tried to make them feel what they were doing wrong. And so now I do both. I do a lot of the, you know, if a, a kid is going, getting too far forward and losing the slack out of his swing, I'll almost always go and pull on his front side elbow and say, as soon as you moved, this is what's happening. And I'll pull on his front side elbow and take the slack completely out of the swing. And then he can see what that feels like. And so then when I do it again, I say, okay, now start your swing, but don't let, don't let me pull your elbow out of position. And then he feels, he feels the forces that are trying to pull him out of that, that slacked, um, that slacked out stretched position. And so now he's recruiting the muscles and the proper posture to, to fight that, uh, to fight that default in his swing. So, um, I like that a lot. I like the band a lot. I like swinging off of taking the front side out of it and uh, just taking that front leg off the ground and swinging with the backside. Um, because a lot of times kids get too, hitters get too far forward because they don't know how to create power correctly from the backside. So then they have to resort to movement and trying to create energy forward to create that momentum power because they have never felt the power properly from the back leg and from the backside. Um, I also talked about putting that ball under their front foot um, so that they can't go forward. And then they'll realize really quickly, man, I cannot hit a ball very hard without moving forward. I better figure out a different way. I better recruit different muscles. I better figure out a different way to create power than what I was doing before. Because now that this ball is underneath my front foot, I can't, I can't hardly hit a ball at all. And so now you're forcing them to, to adjust to a new power source, which is, the power source that we want coming from the backside, not the front side. So should we be, we'd be telling our hitters to hit the ball deep in the zone versus kind of go out and get it? Because I feel like um, there's a lot of players who, like we were just talking about, they kind of lunge out and forward because maybe they've always been told to kind of go get the ball. Yeah, I don't, and I don't, think, I don't think that that's the same for every hitter. There's some hitters that I work with that I think try to catch the ball too deep. And they don't ever allow themselves to get to the point where they, where they have power and have extension. I mean, it's, it's proven that power is out in front, right? But out in front relative to what? And how are you getting out in front? Does that make sense? Right. So I don't think I could say, I don't think I could say, hey, you know, every, every hitter has to think about hitting it deeper or every hitter has to try to go out and get it. I always tried to go out and get it, and that hurt me. But if you know how to create power and you're creating power from the backside, um, then you're going to get it in front of your turn. You're not necessarily going to go get it in front of the plate, but you're going to go attack the ball in front of your turn. So I think that that saying has kind of been misinterpreted a lot because it's different for every hitter. When a lot of people contact me on Twitter or Instagram, like, hey, I'm going to get this ball out in front. Does that look good? And they're just jumping and trying to hit the ball out in front of the plate. You know, a lot of times it's like, no, get the ball out in front of your turn. Don't worry about where the plate is. It's where you, where you're making contact and relative in, in relative to where you're turning. So um, there's some guys that I think go get the ball too much and lose it. 
So in that sense, no, I, I would like those guys to back that fastball up, try to hit it deeper so that they cr- can create a tighter turn. So I think it's different for everybody just having having an understanding of what you're trying to do and what that hitter um, is that hitter's movement patterns are like and how they're built, I think will determine whether they should think about trying to go get the ball or, or get it a little deeper. Yeah, so essentially it's like some guys have to think swing down to, and some guys have to think swing up. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, we, there's a certain swing path, path you want, but how you think about it is going to be different for each player. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's some hitters that I tell swing down. And I don't, and I don't want their barrel going down, but I need their hands to move down in relative to what they're doing now. Um, I don't really teach hitters to swing up. Um, if I think that they're too steep, we talk about tilt more than swinging up um, because I don't want our, I don't want our hitters to use their arms. And a lot of times, um, if if I talk about swinging up with a hitter then you know the arms get away from the body and it becomes long and loopy and uh slow so if i talk about tilt now we can get that angle that we want to the ball the attack angle that we want to the ball without sacrificing speed speed of turn and and tightness of turn um but like i said you know there's there's gonna be a time i know and there's probably been a time where i've been working with a hitter and i've had to say okay you you think you're doing something, but you need to exaggerate it even more. I want you to hit this ball straight up to the top of the cage, and then the next ball that they'll hit a line drive. You know what I mean? Some, sometimes, you know what you feel isn't real, so you have to get you got to got to get somebody to exaggerate something so so that they can actually get on plane or, or behind the ball a little bit. So, what about tilt? You were just kind of talking about tilt. Did you were you did were you talking about like with your shoulders? Like what what exactly were you talking about? Yeah, really, really. If if you're going to turn and stay over the backside or stay over the middle of the body, but not create a downward plane to the ball and hit a bunch of ground balls. If you're going to get behind the ball, um, get the barrel behind the ball, have the barrel work in rearward first and hit line drives and, and, you know, balls and gaps and home runs, then the only way to do that without using your arms and looping your barrel up is to create tilt over that rear hip when you launch. So it should be an instantaneous where your barrel launches and you're creating tilt at the same time. So, um, yeah, I did a video a long time ago that was, um, you know, the sh- you can't fly – you can't fly out if you fly up. And it, that was all about the shoulders working, you know, more north-south as opposed to east-west. And uh, when I talk about tilt, um, we do talk about the shoulders working that way. Um, now, we don't want to swing with our shoulders, but, again, it's a, it's a feel. It's, a, it's an idea, concept of where your shoulders should be going when you create that launch. Um, as opposed to flying out and having your arms try to create the angles that you want. Where did you learn about, about the swing so much? Is there Did you have somebody kind of you looked up to who kind of taught you a lot, like a mentor or something like that? Um, no, you know, I, I, pick up, I pick up stuff from lots of different guys. I'm a very good thief. Um, <laughs> my degrees in, in uh, 
exercise science. So I, I did have some some background in, in some biomechanics and some kinesiology. Um, so that helped a lot. When I, when I started coaching, I went back and tried to uh, – I got to a point in time where what I was teaching, I didn't think I – I realized I didn't – I didn't really know as much as I thought I knew. I was just teaching what I did. And so I told myself I was going to forget everything I knew about the swing and, and start from start from ground zero. And when I did that, I, I, I went to a lot of different people um, for ideas and for, for concepts. And so, you know, there's a lot. I mean, pretty much everybody out there on Twitter, uh, all the major, um, I don't know, hitting guys or – or facilities I've probably stolen stuff from. Um, I've talked to Eugene Bleeker a lot. I've talked to Ryan Parker a lot. Um, I sat with a couple through a couple baseball games with with Richard with Teacher Man. Uh, learned a lot from from everybody. Um, Wall and Brock and those guys over there. I've you know talked with 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 some guys that have worked over there and, and picked up stuff from them and. Um, you know, PDS, all these, all these places have pieces that fit my style and how I teach. And so I'm not a clone of anybody and I would never want anybody to be a clone of the stuff that I do. However, I think that you need to take the understanding that you have and that your teaching styles and, and make that the best way to help your players. So I don't, I don't think that there's been one mentor. There's been a lot of mentors and, and I would credit, I would credit all of them um, for helping any player that I've ever helped. You know a little bit about the body. You kind of said, you know, you studied some biomechanics. Um, I've talked to some people who say eventually he believes uh, hitting coaches will need to be TPI certified um, to help players. Do you think that you need to have some sort of background and understanding about the body to truly help a player? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't want to paint anybody in a corner um, and saying saying you need to be, you know, you need to have a master's in education or you need to have a, you know, a degree in exercise science or kinesiology or anything like that. But I, I, I do think that you need to have a pretty good working knowledge of, of what we're trying to do as far as how the body works and how we create power and, and how our body is set up muscular, uh, musculature wise and, and, uh, and structurally, um, I, you have to have somewhat of a working knowledge of how that works. Now, do you have to know, you know, exactly how the fascia works and exactly how, you know, the names of the bones and the names of the structures and the names of the joints. No, I don't, I don't think that that's, that's true because what does it matter if a hitter knows the actual name of a joint or, you know, the name of a bone or, or how the fascia works, if they could do it, if they can mimic what you're explaining to them, if you could break it down and simplify it for them, it doesn't really matter. But I think, a, I think a little bit of a working knowledge or a decent working knowledge of how the body's put together and how it moves and how it works is, is helpful. Yeah. You brought up a uh, teacher man, Richard Skank, uh, a second ago. He teaches one style of hitting. Um, is that, do you, do you, I know you kind of, you said you kind of grabbed from a whole bunch of different people. Um, is there a wrong way to teach hitting in your opinion? Richard is, Richard is very good at what he does. Um, he's had a lot of success with, 
you know, some people that he's worked with. Uh, now I don't, I don't know that he necessarily, he teaches the same way to everybody, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody looks the same that he teaches. They may take the concepts that he has and interpret them with their own movements and their own athletic ability and their own build. And they still move based on his concepts, but they don't all move the same. I mean, you could go back and look at some of his hitters. They don't all look the same. He's not cloning guys. However, he has a style of teaching in a way that works for him as far as explaining it and the, a, a, drill, a specific drill set that, that works for him and how he teaches it and gets people to feel it. But the, the only thing that I would worry about with a hitting coach having one, a one philosophy and being stuck to that is if they were cloning hitters. Because throughout history, hitters don't look the same. And there's been a lot of great hitters that don't look the same. They don't set up the same. They don't move exactly the same. They don't, they don't, you know, load the same. They don't start the same. And so when you get, when you get into cloning hitters and having everybody look exactly the same, I think that's where you get in trouble. And, uh, and I don't, I don't see him doing that. And so, no, I don't think that that's, I think some of he gets some grief, um, for some of the stuff that he does that I think that's kind of unwarranted. Okay, gotcha. I was just just curious with that. And I, I also saw some things where you had put some you actually put an ankle weight on your front leg for a constraint. Um, do you do that like a lot for some players, or is that just kind of again kind of case by case scenario? Yeah, case by case. Um, with with putting the ankle weight on that kid, he was getting too far forward, so he was putting too much energy into his front side initially he was forcing energy into his front side he was really a momentum-based hitter and so once we worked a ton of rear leg stuff um, we worked a lot of hover drill we worked a lot of having him control his front side and creating stretch he was getting a lot better with that so what I wanted to do is I wanted to challenge him like I said I wanted I wanted to exasperate his old problem so not only did I want him swinging I wanted uh, striding forward I also wanted extra weight on his front side. So he had to work even harder not to get his weight forward. So it was just part of that, that uh, progression that I talked about. Not only do I want to block the stuff that they're doing wrong. Sometimes I want to exasperate that problem and have them fight against it. Um, the same thing. I, I posted a drill last week um, with a kid striding uphill, striding on flat ground and then striding downhill. The same thing, you know, striding uphill, it's hard to get your weight too far forward. And then we go to striding on flat ground. Okay, you can get your weight forward, but we don't want you to. We want you to fight that. And then striding downhill, obviously, it's really easy to, uh, really easy to allow your weight to fall down the hill, but you got to fight against that. It's the same, pretty much the same concept. Could you use a mound if you were like inside and you only had, you know, only like a gym, gymnasium? Could you just use a mound to go uphill and downhill? Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we were doing. Um, in the video that I posted last week, um, our cage is built around our old bullpen. Um, and so the, that mound just has carpet over the top of it. So yeah, we're working on, we're working on a mound. We're working uh, up there on the, on the incline and then we go to flat ground and then we work down the hill on the decline. Do you run the lifting and conditioning for your high school team as well? I didn't, um, our, our high school team, our program was ran, uh, by one of our assistant coaches, Seth Melton, he's in uh, California now, but he used to coach here with us. And, uh, 
he did an amazing job. Our kids lifted year round. Uh, they got up and they lifted before school, um, every day, uh, during the summer, all day during the, or all, all during the fall. And then every, every day during the season, um, they lifted and trained. And, uh, we, that was a big part of a lot of our success was that, that through that lifting program that he had developed. And, uh, he did a really good job with our players. Our players got really physical and, uh, we had a lot of success because of that. You guys lifted every single day during the season. Yeah. Yep. Um, they, we, even after night games, we would go, I mean, every once in a while, if we were in a tournament and we were just getting run down physically, um, we might have a day off in the morning, but other than that, um, at five o'clock AM, they were in there, they were lifting. And, uh, we, we felt that if we, if we, we took off during the, during the season, if we took off from our lifting program, then everything we did in the off season would be all for none because we'd start getting weaker as the season went on. And we wanted to get stronger and be ready for the playoff run um, when that time came. So we really felt that it was important. And that, that this went back to when I played, I trained so hard during the off season, I would go into the season at 180, 185 pounds for me, which was pretty strong and pretty um, in pretty good shape. And then my last year playing indie ball, um, I went in at 185 pounds. I played, I think, 102 straight games, and I came out of that season at 154 pounds. And so, obviously, my numbers deteriorated as the season went on because my body deteriorated. I, I just couldn't hold up. I didn't continue to lift during the season like I should have. Um, my nutrition program was, was crap at that time. And so we really wanted to take some of the lessons that we had learned as, as players and, and, uh, and help our players out because of that. Um, I, you also posted something about um, a driveway marker from Home Depot. I actually went out and bought that, and I uh, was kind of copying what you were doing. Um, was that about the pivot? Is that a big part of it, right there? Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's about creating that that rearward barrel speed, um, more of a feel than than a reality. We're not actually the speed of our barrel isn't going backwards; it's turning forward, but understanding how that works and how the hands pivot. I think when you get a light implement like that driveway marker in your hands, you can really feel how that barrel can get going. Um, and that, that's really a concept. I call it short hands and, and a long barrel. Um, and that's all about allowing the hands to turn as a lo- as allowed, as opposed to allowing the hands to pull forward or push forward. So that's just a way, again, that's just another feel that, that I kind of came up with just to to get something light in your hands so you can feel how that how that barrel can work in your hands. How many we do that a lot also with Go ahead. Sorry, we do that a lot with the PVC pipe as well. So that's kind of the progression. We start with that driveway marker cuz it's super light and then we'll go to PVC pipes cuz they're a little heavier but they're still light and we'll hit wiffle balls with those with the PVC pipe and then we'll go to the actual bat so they can kind of progress and feel really aggressive with a lighter implement and then work to, you know, a game back. How many days a week should, um, should hitters be, be doing these kind of drills? Is it every single day? Yeah. Well, yeah, if I was still playing, um, and I encourage my hitters to do something every day, whether it's just getting in a mirror and, and working on stretch or working on, you know, working on some, some load moves and working on, um, tilt or whatever it is, just, I mean, it doesn't have to, you don't have to go bang, you know, 300 balls 
you know, in, in a live BP setting and spend four hours doing it to get working. You know, you could be in your hotel room in a mirror. Um, you could set up your video camera or your, your phone in a, in a, in a, in a hotel room and take some video of yourself loading and then go on YouTube and compare it to guys. You know, I always, I always challenge our guys to go on YouTube and look up, look up three or four different hitters and see if you can copy their load down to a T because once you can do that, you can see what they're, what they got in common and how they're moving differently. And then you could develop your own style based on that, man, this was really easy for me to load like Goldschmidt or man, it was really easy for me to load like judge. Okay. Well that tells you something. We want you to be able to load and develop power and get into the right hitting positions, but we don't want you to have to fight to do it. We want it to be easy. We want you to rep it out. And we want you to find something that works for you, not something that just works for me. Gotcha. Um, I'm coaching a high school team now, and obviously you have more experience, you know, coaching high school players. Um, how do you get your guys to buy in? You know, the constraints are awesome for that. Um, and I tell this a lot to, to hitters and, and dads when they come to me, um, a lot of times, you know, you have the hitters and dads that uh, that fight against each other. The dads are just trying to help, but they can't get past the fact that the the kid, the son, or the daughter is thinking that the dad's yelling at them. And so the constraints are great for that because then it becomes the hitting coach and the hitter against the constraint instead of the hitting coach against the hitter. And I think once once the hitters understand that you're there for their development, you're not there for personal gain. You're not there to clone them. You're not that there to make them like you. You're not there to make them like any other hitter in their program, but you're there to make them the best version of themselves that they can be. Then they're going to take ownership and have buy-in because now you, now that they know that they're responsible for their development and you're just helping that process along. Um, with our team series, um, when we go and do all the drills in the beginning, uh, we teach, you know, the four basic building blocks, the meat and potatoes of what we do um, as far as rear leg control, rear leg drive, rear hip, and creating power from the backside, the upper body load, the connection of the swing, and then the hand turn, the hand pivot. Once we teach those concepts, the hitter's very easily for themselves where they may be deficient based on the drills that they do very well and the drills that they struggle in. And so just having them kind of internalize and think about, okay, based on these drills, what do I need to work on? Now they, now you've given them ownership of their development process. Now you're just facilitating that. And as opposed to, you know, um, someone who's just setting up drills and barking orders at them, um, you're really just facilitating their development. I think that that, that gave us a lot of buy-in um, and, and just making sure that, you know, that the coaches and the hitters are all on the same page and, and having open discussion. I think early on in my career, um, you know, you want to be the authoritarian in the sense that you want to say, hey, you know, I'm in charge here. This is what we're going to do today. Um, the first couple years that I coached, I didn't, I didn't give enough time for, for players to give good feedback of what we were doing and really take that to heart. And really that's what changed my career around is when a hitter asked me and had, had the stones enough to say, Hey coach, why are we doing this drill? And I didn't have a good answer for him. 
And I went home and I couldn't find a good answer for him. And we threw that drill out. And that's when I started over and said, I'm going to forget everything I know, because if we've been doing this drill just because I did it and I can't explain why we're doing it and I watch video and I can't see examples of why we would do it in big league swings, then why, why are we doing it? And, and when I started getting good feedback from our hitters, um, that's when we started to have really good buy-in. Um, you're out in Arizona. Um, do you guys have access to your uh, cage kind of whenever you want to for your players during the offseason? Um, yeah, I would say, um, I mean, during the, during the off season, they're pretty much free to, to hit whenever they want. Um, now we, we've switched schools and I'm not, I'm not, this past year was the first year since 2005 that I hadn't coached uh, an actual team. Um, I just did my individual stuff, my group stuff, but, uh, but yeah, when we were when we were at uh, Greenway High School, um, those guys there did have access to the cage, and they were there were some guys there that were cage wrapped, and and they were hitting all the time in there, and uh, and as long as they were working, then I didn't feel like somebody had to supervise them. I wasn't worried. They had a good enough working knowledge of what we wanted them to do that that I didn't. I wasn't worried about them, you know, getting worse going to hit. You know what I mean? Some people, you know, all they need to do is hit a lot and they're going to become good hitters, whether they're working on the wrong thing or not. Sometimes kids that just hit a lot can just hit, even if even if maybe what they're thinking or what they're feeling isn't necessarily the right thing. You can if you hit a lot, you're probably going to be a good hitter. Do you get do you get frustrated when uh, players don't, I guess want to be good if they're on your team and you kind of like you're, you're stuck with them, but yeah, they don't want to, they're not kind of obsessed with it. Does that frustrate you at all? I mean, yeah, I, I have a, we, you know, we have a passion for it. So it's hard when somebody else doesn't have the same passion as you do. Um, what I think, what I, but I think everybody's different, you know, every hitter, every hitter, you know, doesn't develop the same way. So just because, you know, they don't have my same level of passion, maybe, maybe their personality is different and they just show, um, you know, show their, their level of care different way. You know what I mean? Sometimes they just don't have a passion for it. They're just playing to have fun and that's okay too. Um, but they have to understand and they have to have the correct expectations based on their level of commitment. You know what I mean? And as coaches, that's hard for us because we want everybody to be the best version of themselves. But sometimes people don't have the work ethic to be the best version of themselves. So they're going to be the best version of their work ethic. And as long as the coach has understands that, and as long as the hitter understands that, then that's really all you can do. And the more you push and pressure somebody to be a certain way, the more that you're going to get, you know, pushed back in the opposite direction. So yeah, that's a, that's a tough fight. That's a tough battle, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I kind of asked you that question about whether your players have access to the cage whenever they want to. I'm in Ohio, so in, in the wintertime, we only have one cage in the gym. We share it with you know women's basketball, men's basketball, softball. I think we have like an hour, hour and a half for 
20 guys, just one cage in a gym. And I was just kind of curious, what would you think would that hour, hour and a half be best spent? Is it just PVC pipes for around, you know, a couple of T drills and then just BP? Or, I mean, it's just tough to get guys reps with when you only have, you know, time and space um, constraints for high school baseball. Yeah, I would, I would, I would invest in, in PVC pipes, long ones that you can use for movement prep, short ones that you can use for swinging. Um, short being like 27 inches to about 40 inches. So you have different sizes and then lots of wiffle balls, golf size wiffle balls and regular size wiffle balls so that they can flip to each other and throw to each other and try to get each other out while they're swinging wiffle ball back, just in teaching each, teaching them to be hitters. So you're not worried about balls, actual baseballs flying around the gym. So you can hit wiffle balls. Um, you can have tees set up on the outside of that cage that you're actually hitting live in or doing front flips in. Um, and then you have some tees set up on the outside of that cage hitting, you know, into the side net of that cage. And then you have, you know, your group inside the cage, whether you're throwing live BP or you're just doing front flips, um, or short flips or, you know, short toss, short overhand toss or whatever you're doing inside the cage. So now you've got the group inside the cage. You got two T stations outside the cage. You have a movement prep station, two movement prep stations. That's five groups right there. And then you have two groups or one group hitting wiffle balls um, with PVC pipes. So you got about seven groups. Um, you got about 20 players right there all working, rotating through. Um, and you could have a pretty good hitting session with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of swings going on, even though maybe they're only getting three rounds of live front toss. They're getting better in all the other stuff. I would try to set up some mirrors um, inside of that gym as well, even if they're just full-length mirrors that you – have to put away in a in a closet and then and then just kind of set up against the wall so they can go and and see their movements for their pvc pipe work um so i think you can get creative and get a lot of swings and a lot of movements without without actually just hitting you know baseballs off a live arm i like that i'm definitely gonna definitely try that out once the game start and pre-game bp what do you like for your your routine for your hitters? You know, everyone's, I'm sure, obviously, you guys do BP. You know, you see it in the big leagues. Is it typical first-round opposite field, then hit and run, or how do you guys do it? Yeah, I mean, we, we try to start slow. I think the reason why, you know, you go opposite field and you go hit and runs in your first couple rounds is because you're trying to feel the barrel and make sure – that you're allowing to turn tight and allowing to allowing yourself, your swing to stay inside the ball. Um, and I, I think that's important. You know, a lot of times coaches did it. So, you know, Hey, we want to hit a ball opposite field because that shows a good swing. Well, you can have a pretty crappy swing and still hit a ball opposite field. But when you actually have the right concepts in mind, I think it's important to start slow. We like, I like to, our hitters to start at, at 50, 75%. So they're creating power properly. Obviously, very few hitters are successful by going out there in first round trying to yank five balls over the left field wall. That just doesn't lead your swing to synchronize itself properly, to stay tight and to stay inside the ball, and to be able to adjust off-speed pitches when it comes to a game. So warming up the swing properly is about sequencing up the swing um, it's about getting your barrel working and understanding where your barrel is and your turn, um, tightening up your turn, feeling a good load sequence. So, oh, yeah, we like to start slow. Um, 
I don't mind starting with opposite field work. Um, I would rather start with 50% swings up the middle um, because I think when you turn up the middle, you still have to stay inside the ball. You still have to stay with a tight turn, um, but you can, you can let your barrel work a little bit better. A lot of younger hitters and a lot of hitters without good understanding of the swing, when they think oppo, um, they just really push their hands in their front arm and let their barrel drag behind. And then the ball goes opposite field based on the angle of their barrel, not based on, you know, the contact point or the, or their, the tightness of their turn. So, um, but I think it's, you know, it's up to the, to the hitters and the hitting coach. And, uh, but that's, that's just my personal opinion on it. How many reps would you got? How many swings per hitter? Um, I like to keep it pretty short, you know, five, six rounds of rounds of four, five, six, somewhere in there. Um, enough that you can get in there. And if you hit a ball bad, it's all right. Just make the adjustment and, you know, you can go up there and hit three balls bad. The first three balls you roll over on an oppo round, you know, you take, take a step out for a second, take a deep breath, get back in there and hit the next two balls. Well, opposite field early on in a, in a BP round. And that's a good round. It's, you know, it's about making adjustments, about getting your body to feel right. It's not about hitting every ball perfectly. So I think sometimes if your rounds are too short, you don't get that good feel of what your body's doing and how to make the adjustments. However, if the rounds are too long, now you're just getting sloppy and lazy. So I think five and six is a good number for us. When you guys would face like a, a good pitcher coming up, you know, in the tournament or, or something of, of that nature, or just with someone with high velocity, would you like throw BP close up like hard to try to uh, emulate that or have machine, you know, move it up and throw and have it turn the MPHs up pretty high? Well, I mean, we did, a, we did a few things um, when we faced the power arm um, and I, and in our team series, there's, there's a few drills that we talk about um, doing for, you know, either facing a power arm or facing like a soft lefty um, guy that's trying to get you out front. Uh, when we faced the power arm, we did, we had a machine that we would crank up and we'd get them in there. Um, we never wanted to be intimidated or beat just because somebody throws hard. You're going to have to pitch. Well, you can't just go up there and throw hard. You're not just going to beat us with velocity. We're not going to be intimidated by it. And we're not going to be consistently beat just because you throw hard. So we'd crank our machine up. Um, we wouldn't move it up. We'd leave it back at the mount at the, at the regular distance, but we'd crank that thing up to 94, 95 off a machine off of a wheel machine which i mean really feels more than that and we would let them struggle off of it for a while um but what we tried to get them to understand is that you're not going to go out and get a ball that's harder than you're used to so if he's throwing if you're used to seeing 90 and and you're going to face somebody that's throwing 96 you're not going to be more successful by going out in front and getting it so it's not about starting earlier necessarily and going and getting it because by the time you go out and try to attack that ball out in front of your turn, that ball is going to be by you. So what we, re- we really tried to focus on is getting the barrel in the zone early, and you don't necessarily have to try to pull the ball just to be, just to be on time with a fastball that's, that's harder than you're used to. Get your barrel in the zone early so that you have a bigger room for error because you're going to be beat by velocity. You're not used to that speed. So that's, your timing is going to be off a little bit. It's going to be on you faster than you think. So the earlier that you can get your barrel in the zone, the better chance you have of being able to adjust and, and uh, adjust to that velocity um, before you, you know, you have your third strike on you. So um, we did that. 
we did a lot of, you know, really slowing down your body and doing some statue swings. So just from a dead stop and having your barrel respond by going backward. Um, we did a lot of that because that really takes a lot of the movement out of it. Um, and when you're facing something, somebody that's going way harder than you're used to, um, excess movement is really going to make it even tougher on you um, to uh, to get your barrel in the zone and get get contact and, and get uh, success. I loved your I love the phrase when you brought up short hands, long barrel. I think I read you say that, and that just makes complete sense. Just because you want that barrel deep in the zone, but you don't want to cast your hands out too. Right, and and you don't want your hands, you know long away from you and you don't want your hands long to the ball because you know your hands don't hit the ball you know the barrel hits the ball we want our barrel working we want our hands to turn to allow the barrel to work but we don't want our hands going forward because as soon as we're pulling our hands forward now our now we're not transferring that energy to the barrel properly so yeah that's a concept that a lot of uh, my hitters i think have really uh, been able to grasp onto um it's a pretty easy concept when um, when we're teaching, you know, what barrel turn is. Who is the best hitter you've ever worked with? Oh, I, I don't, I don't, uh, there's been a few guys that have had, that have had some success that I've either worked with in person or, you know, sent videos back and forth with and talked to, um, or I guess, I guess I, I should really, say like a, a high school, do you have, do you have any, like any high school player who, you worked with and now is, you know, had a great college career, not professional. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a few guys playing, um, pro ball that, uh, that played for us in high school. There's a few guys playing division one ball that have, that have been doing pretty well, um, that played for us in high school. Um, I, we had one, that one of the high school teams that I think it was 2014 state championship team that we had. Um, we ended up having, I think seven D one guys off of that nine starting nine, nine. I think uh, all nine guys played college ball off of that starting lineup, which for our site school was crazy. Um, and it was just, that was a good group of kids that came through. They bought into the lifting program. They got physical. And because of that, um, their, their skills developed and they were able to take it to the next, uh, to the next level. And a lot of them are still playing. I think there's, uh, there's three guys in that group that are in pro ball right now. And there's uh, two guys that are uh, playing Division One ball off of that team still. So um, that that was a good group of kids, and uh, you know I think that they're still taking you know some of the principles as far as um, weightlifting and and as far as some of the concepts of offensively that the stuff that we worked on that they're still they're still uh, working with now. So yeah, we've had we've had some good players, and and uh, they're still doing well. How uh, how many kids are at your, or were at your high school when you were coaching there? Uh, I think there was 1,400, 1,500. Okay. Gotcha. I was just, just kind of curious as like how, how big it was. Um, yeah, the size of, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a big school. It was like, you know, the third, the third largest, uh, as far as, uh, um, division size. Uh, and then this last, last year, uh, Matt Denny, it was the head coach at Greenway high school. Now he's at mountain point high school. Um, and him and I coached together for a long time. Um, and now he's at Mountain Point, which is, uh, one of the biggest, one of the biggest schools in the, in the state, really good program, really good team. So last question, if you could give one piece of advice to, um, a coach out there with a team, um, like just trying to you know, develop his, his hitters, um, what would it be? 
Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say efficiency. Uh, study, study your stuff. Are you there? Oh, so, uh, sorry. Um, know, know your craft. Study your stuff so that you could understand how to use it efficiently in in a practice setting. A lot of the a lot of the stuff that drives me nuts with with coaches is just oh this is how this is how a practice was set up when I played 20 years ago so that's how I'm going to set up a practice like just because you practice that way just because your coach set it up because that's what he did you know that's a 40 year old practice plan when you think about it it's not set up efficiently it's not set up for your um your facility it's not set up for your kids it's not set up for your program so just take the development of your kids it, as your as the forefront of what you're trying to do, take your facility, use it efficiently, make it make sense um, to best develop your kids. And when you know your craft, when you know what your objective is going to be for that day, when you have a big picture of where you want your kids to be in six months, and then you work backwards from there, then every day lines out for you pretty easy. Okay, this week we're working on this. This is our objective for this week. Once we get done with this week and and those four weeks, the, in that block this month, we should have accomplished this. Once you set it up that way, then your days plan out to where you're not just showing up at the field and be like, okay, today we're hitting. Like today is offensive day. We're hitting. Like, okay, that's great. Well, what what are we doing? We're just hitting. You know, what are we working on? What are we trying to develop? And and I think really planning out your your year as far as development of where you want your players to be. And understanding that they're not going to be, you know, at the end game in, in, in a week. Like, give them some time to develop. Don't get frustrated if it takes them some time to develop. When we started implementing some of this hitting stuff with, with our guys, our high school guys, they didn't get it their freshman and sophomore year. It's okay. It, it took some time for them to feel these different movements and for them to understand it. It wasn't that it was difficult movements. It's just with it in a team setting and you have 20 guys, it's hard to get individual time with everybody. So it takes a little bit more time to develop, but allow them that freedom to develop. And, and, and I think more than anything, just, just make it make sense. Don't ever do anything just because that's the way it was always done. Love it. Trent, appreciate you coming on. If you're interested in working with Trent, uh, head to his website, zonabaseballinstruction.com. Uh, Trent, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you're obviously very busy with everything you do. So, uh, again, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it was awesome. Awesome talking to you. And uh, I appreciate it. Hopefully it helped. Um, everything I say is not going to work for everybody. But if you can – I mean, when we, we, went, we went to the ABCA, when we go to coaches' clinics, I always say I'm going to try to grasp onto one thing and make myself better one little piece at a time. If I get more than that, it's a bonus. So I hope uh, – I hope the people, the listeners, and everybody got at least one thing out of it that can help them. And um, if you don't like the other stuff, then then throw it away. It's not going to hurt my feelings. If you don't like everything I say, that's just fine by me. But if you can grasp onto one thing, if one thing helps your players get better, then I'm cool with that. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. All right. 